So Father Harrison. Father Anthony. In America, uh-huh. a, a very important report has come out, and people are deciding whether or not they need to retract things that they've said in the uh-huh. past or uh-huh. double down on things they've said in the past. This is what's happening in American politics. Okay. For those who are interested, the opinion of Clerical Pod on the uh, Mueller report is... Uh, everything's fading away. Everyone's going to die. Repent and submit in the gospel. Oh, I that's thought, how we, I thought this was we, about the Pope's new uh, apostolic exhortation that's coming no, out No, 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 no. No one, uh, no one cares okay. about that. No one cares oh, okay. about that. We only care about the Mueller report. It is everything. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so I say that as a cheeky segue into this question for you. Okay. Last episode, yeah. you made strong comments about the ever-pious, ever-popular <laughs> devotion not just any devotion, but yes, true, I know. true devotion yes. to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Yes. Explained most perfectly by St. Louis de Montfort. Do you care to clarify? I, you, do you know what? I meant to do my research for today. And I totally forgot until you just mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> I was secretly really hoping that you didn't. Just to keep going. To, this is, this, it actually is perfect because one... I get to dunk on you a little bit. Two, we get to keep people waiting in suspense when you finally explain the outrageous statement you made. Why is it outrageous? Tell me. It's not outrageous. You might be right because you tend to be fairly intelligent about these things, but I just love that you made such a strong statement on such (laughs) a popular devotion. That's what we call- Without any facts. Without any facts. Without any facts. And that's what we call on the internet a hot take. That's right. So you've generated clicks and views, but no substance. It was all about, it was all about intuition in the moment. (laughs) Right. I just feel like this is wrong. And I know there are Pete, there are listeners to our show who were, are waiting on pins and needles right now. And mm-hmm. you're gonna have to wait some more. If I remember this week, maybe I'll do a, a Twitter thread or something like that in answer. Don't don't waste that good content on a Twitter thread. You're not even on Twitter anymore. I'm on Twitter, just not as much since I took it off my phone. It's I know. Been, yeah. Are you? Do you still have it on your phone? I I have I am I have been a big old garbage person this Lent when it comes to like making any kind of Lenten commitments. It has not been okay. a good Lent for Father Anthony. Uh oh, that's not good. No, it's okay. not great. Lent watch. How? Okay, Lent watch. Uh, not not good. I have been a, a slug person of a Lent. Uh, huh. Now that, that being said, like it was one of those things that so much is going on. This is gonna sound like a great cop out, but it's not. Uh, so much has been going on in my spiritual life, and things have been happening in prayer. Some of the things we might even talk about a little bit on today's presbyteral exhortations. That like I've been so caught up in what's already going on that I haven't mm. really taken on a lot of extra stuff right. for Lent. So, gotcha. And then like, I had a meeting with my spiritual director, and we were just talking about all the other stuff that's going on in my life that we never got to Lent. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll just keep trying to do my best. Plus, you're kind of, you're kind of a big deal now, right? So it's like, what? you didn't even need Lent, right? I mean, you got mentioned on, uh, on the sub-beacon. I did get mentioned on the sub-beacon. Well, so did I, but I mean... Victorino Matthaus, uh, he pronounced my name correctly and everything. And you just pronounced his name wrong. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the disdain I have in general for the laity. Uh, oh, but see. no, apparently he knows a lot of Jersey Italians and they, they pronounce their name right away. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Bobby boo hey. Bobby boo 
That, that's yeah, Italian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Italian. So, um, before I can't do stuff like that anymore. I've gotten in trouble already <laughs> at my parish for, I thought, just teasing, but we don't tease anymore in, in America. We can't tease about ethnicities. Okay, okay. so, <laughs> I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I am, for the second week in a row, which is why we've been recording rather recently and not like double for a week, I have first confessions again at my parish. And Mm -hmm. I have a theory, a theory that will begin with a question. Why are kids afraid of their first confession? I think they think it's a bigger deal than it is. Yes. And you know why they think it's a bigger deal than it is? Because they take sin seriously. Well, I think it's maybe a little bit of that. There's There's a human intuition that knows that yeah. sin is bad and talking about your sin is not fun. Right. But I think it's because they're afraid mostly because their parents are, are afraid of confession. Huh. Huh. This is my big theory. Okay. Because I think you can get to a point in your spiritual life where there might be a little bit of nervousness maybe or just, just, just uncomfort around certain sins. Mm-hmm. But I think you become genuinely excited to be freed from your sins right if you're doing this right yeah and i think a lot of parents just aren't there probably I, because they only go to confession once a year if that if that and even though that's the minimum requirements mm-hmm. it's the minimum requirement minimum. so that's my new theory that's why i keep on saying to parishioners because it's true i try to go to confession every three or four weeks mm-hmm yeah, same about like, once a month for me. I, t- I say that to the kids. They're like, oh my gosh, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't usually have any serious sin to bring, right? It's just, I there's grace there that can help me draw closer to Jesus. Yeah, it's about fighting that spiritual battle. Exactly. Just go. Yeah. It. And it becomes less scary, especially if you have a, if you have a regular confessor. Um, you're not going to be surprised by your confessor, which is nice too. So that's, that's part of it. That's true too. Um, yeah. I, it's funny. I, I'm like, I'm weird. Cause I have, I have my spiritual director lives in Victoria, who, which is about three hours away, but yeah. I have a retired priest in town. So I just usually go to him for confession since I can't mm. usually get to my spiritual director. So, mm-hmm. which is helpful. So I went, so this week I, I posted something about this on Twitter, but on Saturday night, so I've gotten to know this group of guys in town and, uh, they play board games my age. They're all they're all very devout Protestant guys, actually, which is kind of cool. <gasps> Scandal. Event, no, ecumenism. Oh, uh, through board games. Exactly. Board and, game unism. And beer. And beer. Oh, beer unism. Yes. So uh, they told me about this little fundraiser that was going on in town called Hops Fest. And it was something like you, you buy a ticket and for two hours you get unlimited food and unlimited beer. Ooh. And uh, so I went on Saturday night with them. It was a great time. There's about 15 different breweries at this thing. It's only for about 300 people, um, but about 15 different breweries. They're, one of our local places, Pete's Meats, uh, had all these like sausages that were grilled, and it w- I couldn't leave his booth. I kept on eating all the sausages because they were just so good. <laughs> the Hungarian sausage was amazing. But this is the really cool thing because this is the kind of guy I am. If I'm in public, I'm in my collar. Oh. <gasps> It's kind of what I try to do, right? Especially mm-hmm. when you're in a small town. It, it sure, right? Well, because if I'm not, and people, if I see parishioners there, which I did, mm-hmm. 
well, his wife's father not in his collar. Is he trying to hide something? Yeah, yeah, right? it's true. You gotta watch out. <laughs> Rumors in parishes are the worst. In the end, you're you're, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, right? <laughs> because then some people be like, oh, why is he wearing his collar? He's giving a bad representation to the church or whatever, you know? Oh, because you're drinking beer and exactly. wearing your collar. Yeah, which scandal, is scandal. Because that's what scandalizes people in the church today. So here's the thing. <laughs> so I'm the only Catholic priest in town. And yep. it's a smaller town, lots of lapsed Catholics, but this event drew mostly people my age, like mid thirties. Right. And I kept on getting all these look that looks that night, like these double takes. <laughs> like what? Yeah, exactly. What? And four or five times, I had someone roughly my age come up to me and say, "So me and my friends have been just discussing this. You're not really a priest, are you?" And I, <laughs> I pull out my celebrate. Did, wait, did you have it? Yeah, I have it. I always, it's in my wallet. It's always in my wallet. I, don't, I do not even have one of those. What, know, what's a celebrate, Father Harrison? Sorry, a celebrate is something that says that you're a priest in good standing with your diocese, so that if you're mm. traveling, you can show it to people. Uh, I know most more and more in the states that you guys aren't really using those anymore. You have to have like a letter of good standing for the period you're traveling. Yeah, actually, I just show people my Twitter account, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you can say uh, mass." Really? No. After reading your tweets, they say that? <laughs> they were very... It was working until I tweeted a picture of myself with a picture with uh, Hot Pockets. Oh, now okay. no one trusts me anymore, so... <laughs> bacon priests. I'm disgraced. Bacon priests. The priest is bacon priests. Shame. Um, so anyways, yeah, I had all these... It was actually a really awesome thing. Lots of, lots of great discussions and people just saying... I didn't know... You know, you get the usual ones. I didn't know priests could drink beer and I keep on right. saying... We invented modern beer. <laughs> we literally made beer. Yes. At least the good stuff. The good stuff. The monk stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But it was a really awesome thing. Like just, uh, you know, you, you, these are little... So I had a few people on Twitter say, how is that evangelization? I'm like, you never know. Just if you can just help people like dispel preconceptions. Yeah. Or misconceptions. Mm -hmm. That can break down a barrier. Right? Yeah. And the fact that people felt they could come talk to me. How many people would just come talk to a priest at an event like that. Not mm -hmm. many, right? I, I, I talked to at least a half a dozen, and I would then go to their groups and talk to them for a bit and everything. Like it's saying, hey, yeah, we're here. And I think I think the, I got the double take for two reasons. It's A, or sorry, three reasons. A, priest. B, drinking beer. C, I'm a younger priest. You know, people right. just think you're older, right? But it was mm -hmm. a really awesome opportunity to just hang out, have some good beer in moderation, of course. Yeah. Uh, I didn't drive home though. I they have a they had this great program there, so I made sure you know just in case. And uh, great beer, great company, and it was a great time. Yeah. Now just imagine, Father Harrison. Just imagine if you were actually a really holy priest, and you didn't wear just your clerical shirt, but you wore your cassock. cassock. I thought how about that. much more people have been drawn to Jesus Christ because of that. <laughs> so I'm still disappointed in you. I have um, to find the button for my full collars uh, to wear with my cassock. That's the problem. Plus my cassock was yeah. like $500 and I'm really wary to wear it outside of yeah, ecclesial yeah, circumstances. That's really That's exactly it. I would, why I don't yeah. wear mine because I only have one and it's exactly. really nice. And I also have to get other ones. And sure I know I need, to, I need to get, I need to get like more casual ones that I could wear more often. I'd be happy yeah. to wear it more. I just, this thing cost me 500 euros or something like that. And I'm like, right. I am using this for nice occasions only because mm -hmm. it's, it's like pulling out a really expensive suit. You, you don't do it just for everyday stuff. Right. Uh, it'd be easier if like we were just, we were just used to wearing just like a habit 
habit maybe like Thomas Aquinas wore. Summa Tweetologica, Summa Tweetologica, Summa Tweetologica. exact same transition in my head yeah right it was the obvious one but sometimes it was the obvious one you just give the people the obvious one because that's that's what they're looking for that's what exactly they want. exactly the summa theologica as we all know was saint thomas aquinas's summary of theology and the summa tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on twitter first up man it's not just this is one tweet but this is this is something that took catholic twitter by storm and i'm mm-hmm. real excited to talk about it Awesome. Um, this is a video from at Catholic Sat. Pope Francis really doesn't want anyone kissing his ring. This is from today after Mass. And it's a video, sure enough, of Pope Francis looking very uncomfortable when people try to kiss his ring. And then later, as video, go- video goes on, he just he pulls his hand away when people go to kiss his ring. And he does not allow them to kiss his ring. Right. Well, he also and told this- people, please don't kiss my ring. The, okay, so let's, let's break this down because there was a lot of people who were saying a bunch of stuff that okay. it was terrible for Pope Francis to do this. It was humiliating, blah, 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 blah. So, Father Harrison, what's going on here? Uh, I, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot because I was just trying to be blissfully unaware of this whole situation. But from mm-hmm. what I understand, it's just that the Pope was just saying he went to Loretto, I think, for the Annunciation. Yeah. And celebrated Mass at Orientum, by the way. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you know that? I did know that. But Isn't that kind of cool? Uh, what people don't know is that the Pope does that like fairly often. Because yeah. there are certain chapels, like Sistine Chapel and other chapels, like you yeah. have to do that. Yeah. So the, Pope's, the Pope isn't even afraid of adoring. Well, actually, from what I understand, John Paul II used a portable altar in the Sistine Chapel. <gasps> Benedict, and Benedict, Saint, Saint Pope John Paul and, the Great. And Benedict started celebrating Adorientum, and then Francis just continued that. Francis is a go with the flow kind of guy. Yeah, but and then so he people he was doing like receiving line afterwards, and he just kind of instructed people, and I can't remember what he said about it, but just yeah, just you don't need to kiss my ring essentially. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, many opinions about this. You and never all have them opinions. Cor- I have many opinions about this, and all of them are correct. Okay. First of all. Um, I'm super 100% done with the Pope being a celebrity mm-hmm. of us videoing everything he does and breaking mm-hmm. down every little thing he does. It's stupid. You should yep. know the Pope's name and you should pray for him. Yep. That's 90% of the faithful. You're good. That's the best way you're going to help both you and the Pope and the Church Universal. Everyone get to heaven. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just annoyed at this. Secondly, it is a good thing, in my opinion, to let people respect your ordination, and your office. I remember when I was ordained, there were some people who wanted to kiss my hands. And the idea is your hands have been anointed with oil. These are the hands that are now consecrated to consecrate the Eucharist. And people want to reverence that. And let me tell you, it's awkward when people want to smooch your hands. Like, you're not used to that. I'm not like a... It was weird. But I also realized this isn't about me. They want to respect what has been done in me. So you just let them do it. Okay. So that's my opinion on that. I feel like the same thing 
If the faithful wants to respect a bishop by kissing a bishop's ring, just let them do it. Like they, they're trying to do something good. Okay. Now, also, if a bishop or a pope says, don't kiss my ring, and you try to do it anyway, you're a jerk. Like, what are you doing? You're drawing more attention to yourself. Yes, but how often do reference. people listen to instructions from priests and bishops? Well, this is another thing. So I was thinking about, like, sometimes <laughs> we have these big old cathedral liturgies. And we'll be instructed by the MC when we – is a huge, huge procession. When you get to the altar rail, bow and then split off. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's a long procession. Mm-hmm. Um, not all the priests can genuflect, and it mm-hmm. just makes everything go smoother and more respectful in general. There yep. will always be priests who decide to just do their own thing and genuflect anyway. Yep. What that does, instead of what it may be intending to do, which is draw more respect to the Eucharist, it actually just draws people's attention to themselves and they end up, in a small way, sabotaging the liturgy right. for the sake of their own statements. Yeah. I am so sick and freaking tired of these political statements where they should not be in the church. So those are all the takeaways you can get from this tweet. All of them are correct. The end. Um, yeah. So, but here's the other thing. I, I have tried numerous times in different occasions to say to people how one ought to receive communion. And oh. do, you know how many, do you know how many times after I say, this is how you receive on the tongue. And this yeah. is how you receive if you're receiving on the hand, which are both legitimate. So I'm not even going to go into that debate. Wait, I totally want to talk about that when we get to another tweet. Okay. okay. But here's my deal. Okay. I say this. I explain it slowly, clearly, and showing people what they ought to do. Yeah. Do you know how many people still don't listen? Uh, the majority. The majority. So we should not be shocked that when the Pope said this, people didn't listen. Yeah. And it's, I think he's trying to help us maybe perhaps, I get where people are coming from is yes, it's a sign of respect for the office. I, I, uh, yeah, I remember when I was ordained, how many people were kissing my hands. Yeah. Right. It was, yeah. But you kind of just accept that and it's a respect for the office. But at the same time, yeah, if someone says, please don't do this, don't do it. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not essential to the priesthood. It's not essential to the papacy. You yeah. know, it's not like people would see St. Peter and he'd have a ring on and he'd give them his hand to kiss it. It's mm-hmm. it's something, um, this is an extra that is not absolutely essential. So listen to the Pope. Let's not freak out. And like you said, let's stop making us, him a celebrity and looking at every gesture as if it's a sign for something. Because we're not, we're not just looking to see what the Pope does. With this video, you could tell. Ultramontanism. Every take, I mean, there's, there's that. But every take, people are bringing their own prepackaged narratives and interpreting what the Pope does through the narrative that's already been established in their minds. Yeah. And that's annoying too. So yeah. just freaking relax. Okay, okay, okay. Is that good? You can, you, how about yeah. you pick a tweet? That, that's right. good enough. All right, that's tweet. good enough for now. Uh, we are going to do uh, chloroplast, um, at chloroplast. I joined Twitter in, Jan- this one got quite viral in Catholic Twitter at least. I joined mm-hmm. Twitter in January 2017. I knew absolutely nothing about Catholicism at the time. I barely knew what the Pope was. Basically, every bit of Catholic doctrine and culture was unknown to me. I was like that for most of 2017. And now in March of 2019, I have decided to convert. Yay! So that's from Zach. Awesome, Zach. We look forward to uh, having you as a brother in the church. Mm -hmm. But I like this because we know 
kind of with the last tweet, even how some people were reacting online and, and our experiences of how some people will even attack priests and stuff like that on Twitter. Sure. Catholic Twitter does good. It really does, though. Right? Look at someone who kind of fell into Catholic Twitter and how it opened up a question. Right? Yeah. And I, I, for me, this when I see stuff like this, this tells me it's all worth it. And it's worth suffering through the muck and junk <laughs> yeah. that we have to put up with sometimes. Yeah. Because Catholic Twitter does good. And I want yeah. to commend all those who are on Catholic Twitter who would gently answer questions to Zach. Because you'd see them pop up on your timeline. Mm-hmm. Who were very... Um, patient and helping him kind of understand things and and you just kind of saw this slow progression and it was a very beautiful thing to see and so catholic twitter does good and we need to celebrate that and to encourage each other in the good that we can do yeah and it's been really just uh joyful and eye-opening and refreshing to see zach's tweets lately so this guy is he's converted interiorly he's waiting to be fully accepted into the church this easter vigil So for all intents and purposes, he's Catholic. He's soon going to be uh, a part of the church fully. Um, but to see, like, how exciting, like, it was the Feast of the Annunciation, and he was just tweeting about how awesome it was to celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation. And yeah. I was like, you know what? It really is awesome that we're celebrating Mary in this way. Just to see um, his excitement and his joy through his tweets about this new thing. Mm-hmm. This new thing is something that I've had for a long time. It's a reminder that, in Christ, it's it's still new and it's still exciting. So yeah. that was lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah. We're praying for you, Zach. Mm-hmm. All right. And this is from at, uh, ooh, let's see, at Pippany? I would agree with that pronunciation. At Pippany. And it's very simple. Petition to bring back altar rails in all churches. Petition to bring back altar rails in all churches. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually, I'm kind of for this, mm-hmm. but I have, I have one question about this. I have a few things. One, nobody knows how to receive communion anyway, right. which is what you were talking about. Like yeah. people who receive it on the tongue do it the wrong way. People who receive it on the hand do it the wrong way, or at least, at least 60% of them in my experience. Have you, have you encountered the mail slot for yes. receiving on the tongue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Like where they yeah. barely open their lips. Or, or like they will bite the host yep. from your hand. Yep. Or they'll lead with the lips. I've had my finger bit a few times. Yeah, you gotta watch out. So what I've do, had some guy, people even like snap for it. I'm like, ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're receiving on the tongue, that is a good and honorable way to receive. I love it. It's yeah. great. Okay. When you do it, stick out your tongue and stay still. You do not need to help the priest. You do not to be even paying attention to what's going on. The priest will place our Eucharistic Lord on your tongue, and yeah. then you receive. I do have a few people who are very tall in my parish, and oh, I that am is not, tough. Yeah. And I am not tall. You were so, like four foot nine, five foot six. Come on, come on. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but so they'll kind of crouch down a little bit. So that's, that I can, that's nice. It that's is nice. nice. And I appreciate that because I don't want to be going like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways. And if you receive on your hand, you take your your least dominant hand. And if you're holy, that means your left hand. I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And then you receive it on your flat hand. And then with the hand that is good at picking stuff up, you pick up our Eucharistic Lord and then receive him that way. You want to know People something? People do. Okay. All kinds of goofy stuff. Yeah, I know. And it's like, it's, you get, are you, you get trying? Like the, you get like the upside down roof. 
Yeah. Like, like are you V-shape? trying to drop our Lord? What well, it happens. It happens. And it's like, yeah. and it's not even like, and it's like, I'm like, I'm trying to like stick it into their hand and I'm trying to like almost force their hand straight. It's like, oh and my God gosh, bless people. them. There are people who are carrying like two babies yeah. and still trying to receive on the hand or have like yeah. a, a walker and they're still trying to receive on the hand. I'm like, I, I mean, if, if it just, ugh, it's just dangerous. Okay. So yeah. But why I'm bringing all this up is yeah. I have heard from many people that using an auto rail is actually faster way faster i absolutely believe this because in the line the longest it takes is not me giving you communion but the people coming up in line exactly there's a lot of lost time there where if if people are already kneeling at the altar rail i can just go down the line and give you communion i have one question father harrison Mm -hmm. back when people used altar rails there were still old people back then correct yep Still, there were still old people who could not kneel. How did they receive communion? I have no idea. I've never really asked around about that. That's the one thing I'm thinking about. How did yeah. old people receive communion? I, I I'm sure. I'm sure there were. I'm sure they were at higher standing, or maybe the priest would go to them afterwards, or something like that. Right. So the priest could go to their pews afterwards, maybe, or if they can still move around, just can't kneel, they would yeah. just stand at the altar rail. I, yeah, I assume. I, I would think so. Right. Yeah. So. I, I am also in favor of this. I have been to churches in Vancouver where I've can celebrate and helped out with the altar rail, and it is so much faster. Mm-hmm. And, and it's much easier for giving on the tongue because you're going down. And right. people have, it's like almost like feeding birds. I, hate, I know I just, okay, folks, don't freak out. I'm using an analogy. But how does a mother feed the bird, right? It, it, it's beak down. And so that, and the child opens up the beak, the baby bird mm-hmm. ch- opens up the beak. Um, but that is so much easier for placing communion on people's tongues. Mm-hmm. Way, 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 way easier. Yep. So there's that. This is another reason why I'm in favor. Do it, do it, do it. It keeps people from treating the sanctuary like it's just another place in the church. Yeah, yeah. This is a sacred space. Like if you go to an Eastern, like Ukrainian Catholic church, mm-hmm. only certain people are allowed in the sanctuary. But Father Harrison, does that mean that certain people are bad and other people are good? So priests are good, but lay people are bad because lay people can't go in the sanctuary, Father Harrison. Is that what's going on? They can. You have altar servers and stuff like that. It's just you're only there if you have a purpose to be there. It's not Mm -hmm. a like I I am working. I'm working at this at helping encourage people to not use the sacristy as a throughway after mass. Mm. right and stuff like that no no the sanctuary because you have to go through the sanctuary to get to our sacristy because uh, no no the sanctuary this is a holy place this is where the sacrifice happens this is a unique place in the church that is not just a place that can be treated like the nave it is holy and we and again I so I think it helps encourage like we create yes it creates a little bit of a separation but it encourages us to see what happens here is holy and sacred. Yeah. And then I come to respect it properly. Mm-hmm. And then one more reason why yeah. it makes it the reception of communion, something uncommon. You're not just going up in line to receive something. Exactly. It, it, it puts your brain in a different place. When I have to like go up to this holy place to kneel down, it's, and it, here's the thing. It's not that, um, going up in line as we do now it's not like that, in a sense, displeases God. But when we put in the extra effort to honor God, it that changes our hearts. If you were to go into church and you were to never genuflect, 
over time, you would interiorly have less respect for the Eucharist. It's these outward actions that inform our hearts what our attitude should be. And I think right. that could be helpful today. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's all I got for that. All right. So from at Catholic Pat. Who? At Catholic Pat. What? Who is this person? Uh, someone who's obviously treating on work time. Yeah. Disappointed. Again, disappointed. Mm. Mm. But not surprised. Not surprised in the least. All right. This is in a reply to something I had tweeted. Christ had the perfection of all human goods, except those that would hinder his mission, i.e. immortality and impassibility. Number two, laughter, wit, humor are goods. Therefore, Jesus is the best comedian of all time. So <laughs> we, we know what he is. There was some heat last week. There was, there's always heat on Twitter. Yeah. But, but basically, I took a picture of myself with Hot Pockets. Yeah. Um, and people thought this greatly disrespected not only the priesthood of Jesus Christ, but the church universal. Yeah. And they were scandalized by my picture of Hot Pockets. What kind of people, though? Uh, well, there were various people, okay. some from Eastern Rite churches, some okay. from uh, movements that are separated from the Holy Father. Okay. Um, commonly known on Twitter as the Rad Trads. So, well, not all Rad Trads are separated from the Holy Father. That is also true. That is also true. That's why I say commonly known, not necessarily yes, accurately known. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was stupid it was stupid and not only that because then you, i saw stuff like not only this uh priests should not only be making jokes online they shouldn't even be on twitter because it's beyond the dignity of their office which is hilarious to me because like what are you doing if twitter is a place where like just uh, sorry my brain gets so cranky like jesus literally went to sinners yeah people accused him of being a drunkard because he did the common thing yeah. of eating with sinners yeah. and drinking with them he was a glutton he was a drunkard because yeah. he went to where people were at yeah. people are on if people are on twitter priests should be on twitter yeah and the problem the problem that these people have is that they are so used to performing online they are so used to trying to cultivate an audience that they assume everyone's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that is not what I'm doing when I'm online, period. Right. I have always been myself online as authentically as I mean, as authentically as you can be on this yeah. medium. Yeah. You can scroll all the way down to my very first tweets. They're all the same balance of holy stuff, goofy stuff, whatever. Yeah. And it's so hard for them to conceive that someone is being genuine online that they just assume that I'm trying to get attention. Right. Which is says more about them than it does about me. So Right. Yeah. And so anyway, so Pat is making a great Christological argument here that if Jesus is human, he's human in every way we are. And if humor is a good to human nature, right? Look at the platypus, God has a sense of humor. Um mm -hmm. then it therefore follows that Jesus has a sense of humor, which means that it's okay for priests to have a sense of humor. Right. There is a, I, listen, I, cause I got weird tweets back as well from just saying this. There is always, it's always about understanding the context and the place of humor. Yeah. During, uh, there's a parts of the mass where it's not okay to have humor. There are part, there is a part where maybe sometimes that can help as like in the homily, mm -hmm. but not all the time. Like you shouldn't be like playing on that card every single week. Right. Right. Um, 
but maybe not at like the opening prayer. That's not a place for that. No, 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 no. So, so there, there is a time and place. And to remember, like this is my big thing. Fulton Sheen, someone who it went, you know, who was part of a medium that would probably be seen as too below for his dignity of television and radio. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's true. Um, always argued that humor is one of the best rhetorical devices we can do use. Mm-hmm. It cuts through someone's heart. It helps them to open their heart to be on your side and to be receptive to what you have to say. If done properly, and, and he says the best humor is the humor that pokes fun at yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest humor mm. because you have to be a saint to do that because you need humility big time. Right, yeah. Yeah. This is why you're not a saint, Father Anthony. Uh, this and a few other things that we're working on but uh yeah anyways so i i anyway so uh, pat's tweet is a good little christology there it says if jesus is fully human he has that human good of, of humor all right let's get one more tweet this time from our patreon pontifications patreon pontifications you support us we read your tweets Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to have a chance at your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. And before I get to that chosen tweet, mm-hmm. we have a news update from this guy we pay, producer Nick. Uh-oh. What did he say? Oh, news update. Okay. Yeah, we're going to be on Spotify. By the time this drops, we will be on Spotify. Woo! Unless producer Nick... We've been talking about being on Spotify for a long time now. Finally, we're on we got Spotify. producer Nick to do it. Jeez. No, thanks, Nick, for all the work you do. It's great. Yeah. Okay, so yay, Spotify. And we're working to changing hosting so that we can be on more podcast platforms. Right. So that's yeah. Nick trying to figure out how to do that the best yes. way. You know, he's and, also and, you know, working all the yeah, and all the free time he has. Yeah, right. When he's not busy doing communications for or a youth ministry that has a few things going on. Or yeah. Other we things. love you, Nick. You're the Thank you, you Nick. Nick. You're okay. Okay, so anyway, this week's treat uh, this week's tweet, which may be a treat, comes from at James V Counts. And it's his tweet. He actually had the guts to be like, talk about my tweet. I respect that. Okay. He says this. Imagine this. You're in heaven. One of your dearest friends on earth is in hell. Yet you are so overcome by the glory of God that you cannot feel any sorrow for those who are not in his presence with you. Your greatest pain is completely eclipsed by infinite joy. You know, I read this Mm -hmm. and I just think to myself, okay, I guess I won't feel any pain when I'm in heaven. About you, Father Anthony. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. When I am burning justly for all of the pictures of Hot Pockets I took and put on the internet, you will feel no sorrow for me. So okay. I like this tweet because yeah. it's a. I think it's a good attempt at trying to understand this. Yeah. I don't think it's quite right. Okay. Go ahead. So it's not that you will be so overjoyed that it will eclipse your sorrow at someone being in hell. Right. God's judgment will be perfectly just. Okay. So there will be no sorrow at it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a better way to understand. And it's hard for us to imagine. It's really hard for us to imagine. Like, oh, this person I like, this person I love, how could I not be sad 
if they were in hell. And the thing is, we... Oh, how do I want to put this? Um, everything will be made perfectly clear in heaven. Mm-hmm. There will be perfect justice. Perfect mercy will have already occurred. So however things shake out by God's grace and our response to God's grace, it will be good. How do you explain the sorrows of Jesus and Mary that come in different revelations in the church then? Oh, man, that is such a good question. Uh huh. So I see it. I think there's two ways to approach it. There's one way I'm a little bit more confident in. Uh, one way is if we look at the language of God who, uh, in like the Old Testament, we know that God does not change, right? Mm-hmm. Yet right. his emotions are expressed in different ways. He's angry sometimes. He's sad sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's joyful sometimes. What changes is not God's, not God, mm-hmm. but our response to God's love. Okay. So when we sin, we will experience God's love at times as wrath because of the pain of the sin that we have incurred. Right. Um, At other times, we'll experience it in different ways. I think my guess, and this is me theologically guessing, there's something similar to that with Christ in heaven. Okay. Um, But you know what? I'll be honest. The whole incarnation thing and Jesus being assumed into heaven. Yeah. That's a tricky thing to talk about for me. Okay. Because I'm not quite sure how to explain it well. I guess I I am I, I, I mean, listen, this is me just speculating, obviously. Okay. I'm not speaking um ex cathedra or anything like that. Right. <laughs> uh this is Father Harrison's personal speculations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love will always have with it a sorrow for those who refuse it Mm. it's it's and i don't think we need to see the joy and the sorrow as something mutually exclusive Mm. so when we see or know and it's interesting because there is different traditions about this some would argue and if i'm recalling correctly i think saint thomas would argue that uh the blessed would have would actually have almost joy over the those who are uh, suffering I was in hell. Gonna, I was going to bring that up, yeah. yeah. So I think it is Thomas who says that the the blessed, those in heaven, will look at those in hell and there will be a joy because they the people in hell will be getting what they deserve. Right. Basically, like, oh, we are seeing justice being done and this right. brings us joy. Right. I, I mean... The first thing that's going to happen is once we've gotten through our purgatory, our love will be properly oriented towards God. Mm-hmm. So we will see, and and I have always taken the theological opinion that the fires of hell are is itself God's love. Right. Right. Ratzinger does this. Yeah. C.S. Lewis does this. Kind of a poetic image. It's not like de facto, but it's just saying you, the, the punishment of hell is knowing that the thing you hate is holding you up in existence and still loving you. Yeah. Right. That that's the punishment is mm-hmm. being loved by someone you hate. Uh, <laughs> it's not. I think people can understand that on just a human level. Yeah. Exactly. Like how I love Father Anthony and he hates me. It's just... <laughs> Father Harrison, you wound me. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a good segue for our next segment here in a second. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but um, no, uh, seriously, it, it's yeah. so we're gonna love a God in a perfect way. Because we've been purified of our disordered attachments. But it doesn't mean that our love for creatures 
uh, will be gone. It's just that they're going to be oriented through God's love. And so we will love the creature as God loves them. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, that means there's going to be a love for those who are even in hell. And I think that love in that way will always have a sorrow with it. It's never going to be something that's going to eclipse or remove the joy in any way. But it's simply the sadness of recognizing that there are those who do not experience the joy that you have. Mm. If that makes sense. That's my speculation. We don't know until we get Patreon there. Patreon speculations. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think that's an important thing to like recognize here. Sometimes we expect the church to have a cut and dry answer for every theological problem. Yeah. But especially when it comes to end times things, there are certain things that the church kind of definitively says. Right. There are certain things that the tradition mostly says. But when it comes to uh, end of time, heaven hell things, there's there's a little bit more room in that area of theology for speculation. Exactly. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of hands-offness with the church, almost an agnosticism with some of these things. Right. Well, there are good theories, there are bad theories, right. but you might not get a cut and dry answer from this. I had, I had a, when I, my first, I, I've been doing this article series for our Sunday visitors, simplycatholic.com, and mm -hmm. um, uh, someone asked me a question on, on Twitter about, is would the incarnation have happened if we didn't fall? Oh, see, that's a fun question. Yeah, it's a fun question, and we can speculate. But I actually, I said, I have no data to base that answer on. Mm -hmm. The church has no teaching on this. And right, like, it's a good kind theological of exercise. But it's, it's I said, not... and I didn't have no pushing, which was great. Like it was a good theological discussion. But I said, like actually, uh, I don't know because I can't know. I said personally, I lean towards the idea that yes, it would have, but that is based on a speculation because theology proper can only be done on the data that's been given and the data we've been given is that christ like it has no effect on our understanding of the cross yeah we have to only take what the cross was what the incarnation was what the fall was as our data points to theologically understand what happened so like you're saying like the church when she doesn't have any data just says we can't say anything right you can speculate don't go far this way don't go far that way otherwise We'll probably never know. And the church has always had that humility, and I think that's yeah. awesome. Good. Yeah, so thanks, James, for your tweet. So, Father Harrison, there are some things that we know, some things that we don't, but we're going to take as much knowledge as we can and put it to good use in presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. Oh, yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Right. Okie dokie. So this is something that has been mulling around in my brain for quite some time. Okay. Really in a particular way since the uh, grand jury, the PA grand jury report. Okay. And I want to talk about today, have a discussion about woundedness in the priesthood. Okay. One of the things that Bishop Zubik, my bishop, has done recently is had these listening sessions where he basically goes from area to area and it's a open forum. People just say whatever they want to the bishop. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, people took advantage of this and said a thousand different things, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that, from my understanding, has been brought up was not just clergy abuse things, but other ways priests have abused their power over the years that have hurt people in ways big and small, or other things that have happened in the church. Maybe it wasn't even a priest, but things that were brought up 
through this. Mm-hmm. You know, as we discuss and as people have been discussing and opening up all the problems with the abuse scandal, other things and other sicknesses in the church have been brought to light more and right. more. It's it's a, a thread that's been pulled that's like just unraveled a lot of stuff for yeah. us as yeah. Catholics. Yeah. And one of the ones that I've found is just there is this woundedness in the priesthood. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of priests in pain, and they have been for a while. And I'm not saying this to justify any evil any priest has done. Okay. And I'm actually not going to be talking about, or I can't imagine, the people who actually did these abuses, but this is just kind of your everyday, regular old priests, things that I've, I've noticed in speaking to them and experiencing things myself. So let's go back to seminary, Father Harrison. A terrifying idea, I know. But let's go back to seminary for a moment. Uh, did you ever hear this phrase? It goes something like this. Um, Keep your mouth shut until the stole hangs straight. I have never heard that phrase before or okay. anything like it. Really? Yeah. Can you guess what that means? Uh, you don't know anything until you're actually a priest. No, it's not. It's or, not well, sorry, you don't know anything. That. But you don't, you, you don't judge priestly things until you're actually in it. Yeah, not even that, Father Harrison. Okay. Those are great guesses. This okay. means don't let people know what's going on in your heart, basically. Oh, interesting. Like, don't give your opinions. Okay. Don't speak out. Yeah. Don't talk until you have your priestly stole, and it's not going diagonally like a deacon. It's hanging straight like a priest or crisscross right. if you're a trad. Okay. So, um, and I think a lot of my generation of priests, and, and before, too, I think a little bit more, there was this idea that you keep your mouth shut, you don't cause trouble, and then when you're a priest, then you can begin saving the church, basically. Yep. Right? So you like the more traditional things. You don't tell those formators you like more traditional things. You like praying your rosary in front of the Blessed Sacrament. You don't tell your formators that. And all this stuff is hard to judge because... Perhaps in some places, at some times, maybe that actually was the prudent thing to do. Right. Maybe in some seminaries, um, surely I would say in some seminaries, mm-hmm. that's what you needed to do. Mm-hmm. But the myth of this, or it became more of, more of a, a myth and a propaganda thing, that even in seminaries that were a little bit more on the healthy side, there were guys who suffered through this. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I've begun to realize is we, we, we cast that story in terms of young, zealous seminarians who will one day be one young, zealous priest, bring back to the traditions of the church, save the church, blah, blah, blah. That's the story. But one thing I found is that that idea of keeping your mouth shut mm-hmm. is not new no. to us or our generation. Yeah. So um, I've been t- talking with um, priests of older generations about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I was shocked to find that there is and has been kind of systematic abuse in priestly formation in in presbyterates. Okay. In general. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is not necessarily physical abuse, mm-hmm. but uh, abuses of power. Okay. Uh, when you have like a really big seminary, when you have a lot of guys... There's almost an attitude that, you know, you might think you're called to the priesthood, but we don't need you. And if we don't need you, if you make one mistake, we're tossing you out because we've got plenty more guys to fill your place. Yeah. And this creates this terribly unhealthy 
atmosphere where you cannot express who you are to the church. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about your struggles. You can't talk about what's going on in your heart. And so you, you hide all that in. If that's your experience of seminary formation, if that's your experience of other priests, that's going to wound your idea of God as well. Mm -hmm. And it's going to wound your ministry as well. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of guys took that woundedness into their priesthood. Right. Uh, is any of that either sounding right or wrong to you or? I, I, I mean, I think for me, it's just a, it's hard for me to know what things were like for a lot of priests in my diocese, more because we don't have a lot of local clergy here. Most of our clergy are on loan from other countries. Mm. So hearing what, the, I mean, I hear a little bits of what's, I haven't heard of priests abusing their positions towards other priests here. Yeah. Per se. It doesn't surprise me either um, that it's happened. Uh, my sense of things, though, is generally in Canada, this kind of like harsh, super powerful form of clericalism, yeah, doesn't just doesn't exist like it did in the states, especially yeah. in those places where the church was well established. Because, mm. like for me, I think part of it is like this is back then that was it was a position of power. Right? Yeah, it really was like, and it's, I mean, it's the case up here too, but it just, it sounds to me, I mean, not always. Well, uh, toward other priests, I've heard different things of how priests have, uh, kind of abused their power towards parishioners. Yeah, sure. That's where I've, that's where I've kind of encountered it more. And it's funny. It's priests who tended to be more on the, uh, non-traditional side of theology. Yeah. They tended and to really make they tended to do things like not care about like the seal of confession mm. which is Yikes. like scary right yeah well then what, and then it and then it terrifies the parishioners about ever going to confession again yeah um so i that's been my experience has been more in that regard of, of seeing it in that way i haven't seen it as much towards brother priests as much yeah so let me give an example and one i think in general, I agree with you as far as those kind of more liberal-minded priests abusing mm -hmm. this, but I have definitely heard stories where um, priests were just as abusive with more traditional-minded ideas toward liturgy. Right. But um, at one point in time, when I was in seminary, I had to do hospital ministry. And at this point in time, uh, I was wearing two chains, one on each wrist. And this was for the true devotion to Mary, total consecration. Right. The idea was one of the things you can do when you consecrate yourself to Jesus through Mary is wear a little chain to remind yourself that you belong completely to Jesus. I decided to wear two because the idea of like almost like handcuffs, like of belonging mm -hmm. completely to God, that's the image I liked. Right. And I had them on my wrists like permanently. So I used like uh, pliers. I had some help. So they were always on my wrist day mm -hmm. and night. Mm -hmm. This was for like five years. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, you get used to it. It didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. It was just as natural as anything else. It wasn't like a torment. Uh, it yep. was only a torment when I had to travel right. and uh, on airplanes. And I would always have to go through extra security, and that was awkward. Okay. But for the most part, no big deal. I go to this hospital. Um, there is a Catholic chaplain who is my overseer, but there's also all kinds of chaplains from other denominations. 
Mm-hmm. And I had a good rapport with them. And eventually they were asking me about the chains. And it was funny because they thought this was some weird Catholic torture device I had on me. And I would explain to them, no, 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 no. It's, it's not painful at all. It's, I forget they're even there. And it was true. Mm-hmm. Months go by of me doing ministry and visiting people in hospitals and all this stuff. One day I show up to work and the priest pulls me aside and says, uh, you're going to have to take off those chains because patients have been saying that they're worried about it and it scares them a little bit that you're wearing those. And I immediately knew that this was a lie mm-hmm. because I had had like really in-depth conversations. Like People were asking me about celibacy. People mm-hmm. were asking me why are you young and such a priest. The idea that they wouldn't ask me about my like jewelry, basically, yeah, just struck me as immediately false. Right. So he says, you're going to have to do that. So now I'm at, I have a problem. Am I going to deny my own spirituality and just go along with this? Or am I going to like stick to my guns? And my reasoning was, you know what? I would never want my personal devotion to get in the way of my overall mission. That was my, my thought. Like, right. I am here to minister to people. Whatever I have to do to do that, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, fine. We got to find some freaking pliers or something. And we did, and I removed them. And uh, I ended up doing no ministry that day because I didn't realize how ticked off I was. Mm. And my experience of it was it felt like here's yet another way that someone in authority has removed something for me. Right. I think my experience in a lot of seminary, not everything, I had a lot of good priests and some good mentors. Yeah. But overall, there was this thing like, no, 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 you are dangerous. Mm. And we have to make you less dangerous before we send you out to people. Right. I, the only time I've ever been truly <laughs> angry at Pope Francis was, do you remember that phrase he said, talking about seminarians turning into little monsters? Yeah. Faculty would use that statement over and over again and laugh mm. about it and love it, and it it drove me crazy. Mm. So that was my experience in general, quick uh, with that. So all of a sudden, you, you enter priesthood, and for whatever reason, it seemed to, for me, and I'll speak more from my own experience, I can do this. Um, your job is to do work. Mm-hmm. Your job is to serve the people. Your job is to go out there and do priest things. But what happens then is that personal holiness and your own devotional life, that's something that becomes almost something selfish. Right. And and even the people of God sometimes, unbeknownst to them, enforce this. Mm-hmm. Whenever they refuse to give you a call because you're busy, like, oh, Father, you're so busy. Oh, Father, you're so busy. Oh, yeah. Father, you're so busy. I am but I'm also your priest. Exactly. Please don't hesitate to call. Yeah. But it makes you feel like, what if you're not busy? What right. if you're spending an hour to pray? And this is something I'm, I still struggle with. That like, no, 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 it's good. It, and it came to a, a head when I was talking with my spiritual director. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show or not, but I was like, I, I feel a little bit lost in my priesthood. I'm not sure what kind of priest I want to be. Mm-hmm. And then... My spiritual director just looks at me and says, well, how about a holy priest? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh yeah. Maybe this should be about like holiness. Right. And I think this is at the heart of the scandal, other than the other things we've discussed. Right. Is priests who have abandoned their call for whatever reason, either through 
um, abuse or just neglect or being overwhelmed um, abandoned their call to holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, we've become in a lot of ways functionaries. And that's, I think this is what has also damaged priestly fraternity. Why guys, you know, I, I've talked to so many priests who say they don't like being around priests. Mm-hmm. They'd rather just be doing their own thing. They'd rather be with their people. Yeah. That's not healthy. No, we're a college for a reason. Right. But how often in so many dioceses, in so many places, do we have almost no opportunity to do that? Right. I'm in a healthier position now with the priests in my area. I'm a part of a priest small group. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things have been very helpful. But I think for a long time, people get used to that. Oh, and it's scary. Like living on your, I live on my own. Right. Right. It's very easy to get used to your own way of things when you do that long enough. And it's scary how quickly you can do things like get possessive of your own time. Right. It, uh, I'm always aware of it and I always feel guilty. Like, like I'll be honest, like we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon and I always feel guilty that I'm doing this on a Tuesday afternoon for some reason. Right. I I have no reason to, right. I really don't, (laughs) but it's because I'm just like, I'm always aware of this idea that I gotta be careful to never, to make sure that my parish is always coming first, essentially, right? And that mm-hmm. I'm not making time for just personal things all the time. Um, and to say yes to things, even when it inconveniences me from having a free night or something like that. Um, yeah. It's, it's, and, but that, the, we have built up the culture of bachelorhood and the priesthood. And that's not its nature. I mean, the law of the church actually says that it's, it is uh, the norm for priests to live in community together. Yeah. And that's a good, but like this is a bit of an aside, but that's actually a good thing for a few reasons. A, it keeps people in check and accountable. Right. Exactly. It gets harder for a priest to get away with stupid things um, and, right. and harmful things, but it also, you know, learn how to be a human being that way. Cause you're going to have conflict. You're going to have frustrations. You're going to get at each other's throats sometimes. That's what family life is like, and that's what makes people normal, functioning human beings. Yeah. You need that. If you don't have that, you get very particular and attached to your own way. Mm-hmm. And then you can see how priests, especially like you, you hear stories of guys who were in one place and one assignment for forever, and they became kings of their own castle, and the parish became spiritually stagnant because mm-hmm. there's nothing pushing that priest. And I, I was having a conversation um, with... Um, uh, with someone um, and they were saying you know they were looking right at me it was Riley Riley from Twitter mm-hmm. dating producer Nick mm-hmm. uh, she said the reform of the church and holiness in the church is going to come through the laity hmm. and this really bothered me not because I'm against holiness in the laity I am all about it it is mm-hmm. wonderful universal call to holiness but what bothered me is that there's something going on behind that that the priests can't be trusted to do that, so the laity have to. Right. Or maybe not even that. Priests should go first in holiness. Yes. I not can't the, remember. They should not be the only holy ones. No. But they should be going I, first. I can't remember where I read it, but something to the effect of a parish is only as holy as its priest is. Right. I mean, that's not universally true, but it's just, no. it, this, it's the idea that there's a spiritual fatherhood here, right? Mm-hmm. And so the children will follow the example of the father insofar as he lives it himself. Yes. Just like it is in a family. It's not saying that the, 
because the, the the thing that comes down to it is that yeah actually it is going to be mostly the laity who in their own holiness are going to f- draw and attract people to the church but it needs to start somewhere it needs to start with the father right so like the father goes first in sacrifice and by doing so he teaches the people how to sacrifice he goes yeah. first in prayer and by doing so teaches the people to pray yeah i think too many of us that is I mean, I think if you were to ask most people, like, do you want your priest to be holy? Yeah. They would say yes, right? Like, uh, You'd be surprised. I think, I don't know. I don't know if they'd say that. Maybe not. And that, if anything, just proves the point all the more. Yeah. They want, uh, no, I want my friend, I want my priest to have a five-minute homily. Or I want my priest to be funny. Or I want my priest to be very friendly. Or I want my priest who does the things the way I want. And blah, you blah, know blah. why they ask that? You know why they want that? Because holiness isn't an option for them. They haven't seen a priest that is holy. Right. So in their minds, it does not come up. Right. A priest is just a functioning human exactly. being. So what are human qualities he can have to make my life, life less painful? Yeah. Because going to Mass, and ob- this obligation is painful, at least keep it short. Yeah. Yep. And the focus has to be on holiness for yep. priests. Like you don't, ab- I mean, and, and just bringing it back to the, the crisis, you don't abuse people if you're having a real holy hour every day. Right. You, if you, if you're going to confession, if you're examining yourself, if you're doing spiritual reading, if you are brushing up on um, your theological training, mm-hmm. all these things contribute to holiness, and holiness has to come first. Mm-hmm. And I think most people will be okay if maybe Father is a little bit behind on some of his paperwork, as long as it gets done. I think that's important to know, mm-hmm. uh, but. We are okay with Father being like. Isn't that what priesthood like? So, when 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 we dreamed about the priesthood before we we entered seminary, yeah. I think every seminarian, no matter what generation they're from, when they if they desire to be a priest, their imagination was a holy priest, and maybe that imagination was um, their idea of holiness was either too small or mm-hmm. off center, mm-hmm. but it was holy. Right. So I've been pondering this because we we talked a little bit about this last week on mm-hmm. Mary and the church. Right. And it's really, I kind of preached a lot. <laughs> we talked about the podcast yesterday for the Annunciation. <laughs> I my, tried to, by the way, and I failed miserably. It was sad. My but poor anyway. people <laughs> had to put up with a 20 minute homily yesterday. <laughs> I couldn't stop. I was like, no. it's too good. And I actually, I said to them, I said, we need to stop being a church that's programmatic and functionary and technocratic. Yeah. We need to be a people and I need to be a priest who is receptive to the word. Yeah, And I, so I've been pondering this since last week's podcast. It's like, maybe it's okay to say, no, I'm busy. Well, why? Because I'm praying. Yeah. And what a witness well, that would no, be No, but Father, people. you need to come and see that person. Yeah, but prayer is actually more important. Right? Not, now you got to be careful to make like sure I, that you're not going to just spend all your time in prayer to the point that you're neglecting your people. Right. And to use it as excuse, obviously. I mean, that's Absolutely. not my tendency anyways. My tendency is actually the other way. Right. Uh, um but we need to be like the priest's first job. Like when you get ordained, when you got it, when you get ordained, um, you're actually asked, right? Are you willing to pray for your people? Are you willing to offer the sacraments for them? Like yeah. this is the heart of the priesthood is two things: it's sacraments and prayer. Yeah, that's it. 
That is what, and preach, I guess we could throw preach and govern governance for pastors. Sure. But I think right? that's a good order of things. Right. But prayer and sacraments are, are your first ones. Mm-hmm. That's what we, pray. and we, and, and the bishop asks us, I wish I, I wish I thought of this earlier. Um, the promises at, at uh, ordination are, are about that. It's, it's, yeah. are you, are you resolved to offer sacrifice and to pray for your people, to pray the bravery for your people, et cetera. So I've been pondering this. I'm like, that's what I'm really just supposed to do. I mean, this office work stuff is fine, but like, I shouldn't be sitting in the office for eight or 10 hours a day. No, that's weird. Right. For a priest. It is, but a lot of priests Mm -hmm. see it that way. And I feel guilty if I'm not. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's this culture. Yeah. It's a bureaucratic mindset. It's a technocratic and functionary mindset that we've put Mm -hmm. into the priesthood. It's like, no, no. My first question isn't what 10, uh, what 10 administrative tasks do I have to do today? Which is what I first ask myself usually. My first question is, who do I need to pray for today? When am I going to pray? And how am I going to make that my priority today? Yeah. And that's what I'm working on at least. I'm not perfect. Mm, yeah, at it exactly. Yet. <laughs> I am not perfect work. on this right now, but that's what I'm trying to work on because I'm seeing more and more. That's what I should be doing. But the problem is again, people expect the priest expect that the priest shouldn't have to be in the chapel for an hour or two a day. Right. There are some, but there are others who if you know um they maybe they have like um a thousand kids or two jobs or whatever they are in less control of their schedule than we are we can take control of our schedule (laughs) yeah if we have the ability to go before our eucharistic lord an hour a day and we don't yeah if i was a lay person i would be ticked the hell off like, how dare you not take advantage of this thing the Lord has given you? Because yeah. also what you are doing when we are hearing confessions, when we are offering mass, when we are fighting the forces of evil, when we are praying for our people, when we are suffering with them, when we're going to the hospitals, no human being can do that. And if we are not constantly in touch with Jesus Christ, if he is not informing and working through us at all times, then we are going to do so much harm. But right. if we are doing this with him, if we're letting this be his work, right, then you'll get a holy parish. Yeah. Then you'll save souls. It, well, exactly. And that's my thing. It's again, it's this, this is the Marian dimension, right? Yeah. This is the idea that the priest is someone who is there to pray and receive the word. And because actually the pre, okay, there's two things. The priest does mediate kind of God's fatherly activity. Absolutely. But he can only do that insofar as he first receives from God. Mm-hmm. right that receptive nature that that total dependence right that these are good things for a priest to do and only when you do that as she does a pre- does a parish grow it's yeah. not you can have all the best programs you can have all the best gizmos you can have uh the best possible music that's not going to change a parish that's not going to draw no. more people in and if and the no. people it's going to draw in is often going to be drawn in for superficial reasons yes are the people we are we drawing because that's I mean that's the other thing people just want to draw people in just for the sake of drawing them in it's like no no we want them here for the right reason we want yeah. them here to love the Lord Jesus Christ but that can only happen when we start to step back and say okay Lord I I'm here to just receive and to let you be the initiator yeah and I think the good news is is more and more priests are realizing this mm-hmm. that there is a change and these changes happen slowly but I, I see more and more priests getting together to do this to pray 
uh, told themselves accountable to print this sort of thing. I don't want to go too much longer because we did a long episode and this is already going over. Uh, it's, it's been good stuff though. Yeah. But um, I, just one last thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I stumbled across <laughs> a book um, called In uh, Sinu Yezu. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, it's personal revelation. So all the caveats that go with that. Yeah. But it, um, uh, it's basically Jesus speaking to this priest. It happened really recently. And it has the, uh, the Nihil Obstat and the uh, Imprimatur. Right. So that's good. Um, but the whole idea is Jesus Christ calling this priest in this journal back to holiness and adoration. And I'm usually very hesitant about personal revelation, especially if the person is still alive, especially if this hasn't happened. If this has happened in the last 500 years, I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. Yeah. But I picked up the book and I saw this, and this is this priest, we don't know, uh, writing this. Our Lord, in instituting the Eucharist, foresaw the outrages and sufferings. The sufferings, I mean, of a love that is wounded and spurned. He waits still for some little compassion on the part of his priests. He is seeking today, more than ever, priests who will console him, priests who will adore and make reparation. And I read those words and it hit me. Like, if I'm not going before the Eucharist, if I'm not offering my entire life to Jesus Christ, if that's not happening first, then what the hell did I, what the hell am I doing with my life? Right. Why did I go through everything for eight years mm -hmm. and through the, the sufferings and everything else in seminary? Like, this is what I've always wanted to do. This is what a priest I think deep down every priest wants in his heart to be deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and by being so teach other people to love him in the same way. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I, cause I've tried reading that book. I just yeah. couldn't. And, and I think it's good. It's good to know because uh, Father Harrison, I think you're a great priest and you don't care for this book. And that's a <laughs> that's normal fine. okay yeah, and thing. I, and I, I'm the same, ex exact same back at you. Uh, right, good. <laughs> right. It's like, I just, I tried, I just found it too repetitive. And I was just like, no, I can't. I get it. Okay. Yes. Fine. I know I'm supposed to it's, spend time with you in the Eucharist. Okay. Yes. I get it now. Thank it's you. It's good for me because I am so stubborn. It's just, I have three and copies. And that this is helpful to me to just beat it over my head over and over I, I just, I have three copies because I got like three copies as gifts. <laughs> <laughs> that's the danger of buying a priest a book exactly but anyway but you know priest... it's, but I, I agree i think yeah and it's something i'm just trying to our success as a priest is not in the functions we do mm -hmm. the administrative tasks we succeed in in the amount of programs we do our success as a priest is how much we receive from the word himself and that's what we need to orient on and we Good. need to build up our par parishioners to understand. Yes. Amen. Oh, Father Harrison. Yes. I think that's that's going to do it for this episode. Yeah, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I got three Tommy, and a half hours sleep last Tommy night. Tommy is currently praying for priests, so he cannot make it to the show today. But He's thank so you holy. guys for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. You can find me at Fr Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. God bless. Peace. <laughs>